and welcome to the Real Weird Podcast. October 27th, the Phantasm series. Alright, so welcome back. We're going to be talking about something that's had pretty... somewhat of an influence on modern internet horror culture. Um, wouldn't exactly... It's not in a very obvious way. Um, but we're going to be talking about the Phantasm series. Now, this originally came out in 1979, I believe, directed by Don Coscarelli, who was a... Well, it's complicated. He he was born to Italian settlers in Libya, but he moved to California uh, sometime in the 50s with his parents when he was very, very young. And Don Coscarelli got together with a couple of... with a few of his friends... And decided to put a movie together. The original Phantasm, actually, that came out in 1979, was locally financed. It was an indie. The cast and crew were mostly amateurs or aspiring professionals. You know, people that had people that had some experience, but not exactly, uh, you know, industry big names. It's a very weird one. It's this... Okay, so basically how it is, is the... I mean, to give you some ideas to how, like... How novices they were at this whole thing. They didn't realize that even when you're firing blanks from a gun, it can still have uh, danger... This wasn't like the crow or the rust shooting, don't worry. But one of the shotgun blanks accidentally set the director's uh, jacket on fire at one point. But, you know, Coscarelli, you gotta admire his passion. It was like 2007. 2007, what the fuck am I talking about? It was like 300 grand by his own estimate. Um... His mother designed some of the costumes, makeup, and special effects. His father was, like, one of the biggest producers in the film. They had some, like, local doctors and lawyers chip in. And Coscarelli didn't even have the money to hire an editor or a cameraman, so he did both of those duties himself. Um... Like Reggie Bannister in the movie, he did most of his own stunts. Um, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the actors had some experience, but a lot of the a lot of the experience they had was with Coscarelli on some earlier movies that he did. The And you know, a lot of it is, well, I got to say, the thing that I love most about the original Phantasm, but the thing that might also frustrate a lot of people, is that it's very surreal. I suppose I should actually get around to explain the plot, but if you don't know, there's this kid named Mike. Um, Mike Pearson. 
Uh, played by A. Michael. By... Well, okay, his name is Michael Baldwin, but he goes by A. Michael Baldwin. Uh, as a kid at the time, he's playing Mike Pearson, who's the younger brother. The older brother, Jody, is played by Bill Thornbury. And they have Reggie Bannister, who is the director's friend, playing a character named Reggie. He's... He's designed to be kind of both an everyman and the comic relief character, so it's it's kind of pulling double duty there. But yeah, Reggie is like Reggie's like rock solid. He's one of the most consistent characters throughout the series. And my f- one of the favorite things was the actor Lawrence Rory Guy, but he went by Angus Scrim playing playing the local mortician at Morningside Cemetery, which is, you know, right by their town. And the tall man, as he later becomes called, is the local mortician. And Mike begins to suspect that there's something very, very off about him. One of Reggie and Jody's friend, Tom, he's... Well, he's... We see him in the earliest part of the movie. He He's murdered in the graveyard, and everyone just thinks he killed himself. But Mike sticks around, hides in the bushes, and he spies on the mortician, and he notices something really fucking scary. Not only does he not bury the casket, but he picks it up completely on his own and loads it back into the back of the hearse. I mean, you know, in case anyone doesn't know, like... Caskets, especially with a body, can weigh like four or five hundred pounds, even if it's a pretty, you know, small human inside of it. There's a reason why the tradition is like having six pallbearers. The But the thing that makes it frustrating, I think, for a lot of people is that because of the like primitive synthesizers that they had, so it was kind of eerie, ethereal music. I mean, that Phantasm theme is... It's not quite Halloween-level iconic, but it's still pretty recognizable if you know anything about, like, cult horror movies. And getting back to what I mentioned is that the tall man, he just looks like an old man, really lanky, very well-dressed, because, I mean, he is a mortician. It's one of those things where you can't really dress casually for. But he's been... He kind of lives on in a way because his character is theorized to have inspired the, you know, creepypasta of Slenderman. And I mean, you know, seeing the two by side by side, I can kind of see that. So they begin to stake out the mortuary and they do find evidence that something is just really, really off about, about the mortician. And Mike at one point actually sneaks into it, and he's attacked by these weird sort of, like, dwarf-looking creatures. Like, I think the best way I can describe it is imagine, like, a pissed-off version of, like, a Jawa from Star Wars. You know, the little hooded guys you see at New Hope. Just imagine that, but, like, really, really strong and very angry. 
but still basically keep them the same size. So he, Jody, and Reggie break in to try and figure out what's going on, see if they can put a stop to it. And then, you know, spoilers for people who haven't seen it, they begin to realize that what the tall man is doing is that he's taking human bodies. He's removing the brain to make these little flying silver spheres that I think in a later movie get dubbed Sentinels. And... The way he disposes of the body is that he puts them in these canisters and he sends them off to this other planet for the purposes of slave labor, essentially. And the reason they're sort of... It's kind of hinted that the reason they end up so short is because they need to cope with the higher gravity on this new area. But it's got a... For cult horror movies of the 70s, it's got a pretty iconic like cliffhanger ending where the tall man still alive attacks Mike and then the movie just ends. But I think this sort of surreal tone is what puts a lot of people off, but I kind of like it, although it's a little difficult to understand the twist near the ending uh, regarding Jody. And like I said, the music and the fact that the effects are just a little bit dated. Not as much as you might think from... I mean, this had basically the same budget as Halloween when it came out. Um, so the effects aren't terribly dated, although they still look a little weird on modern rigs and modern sets when you try to watch it. But I don't know. It's it's just something kind of creepy about it. I mean, Mike's Mike and Reggie are both really fun. The tall man is freaky as hell. Uh, apparently, apparently Coscarelli figured out Scrim would be a good, play a good villain because he, because at one point he frightened a small child by just glaring at him and raising his eyebrow. I I don't know if that story is true, but that's what Coscarelli said about it. And apparently the way they made the tall man look a little taller was getting a suit that was just a little too small for him and outfit and lifts, like, you know, big, thick shoes to make him look even taller and skinnier. So there's a little bit of, like, early forced perspective going on with that. Uh, Yeah, I mean, honestly, if I had any criticism, like I said, it's a little confusing, but I kind of like the surreal tone to it. Uh, the s- synopsis on Shudder kind of sums it up pretty well. It unfolds like it's a kid's bad dream. So, yeah, that one came out in 1979. And there was... And J.J. Abrams is apparently a big fan of the series. So, Bad Robot Productions actually sponsored a uh, 4K 4K restoration that is currently on Shutter if you want to watch it. The... Oh, yeah, and apparently... Oh, and apparently, I just want to throw this in, there was apparently a softcore porn film also called Phantasm that came out three years earlier. So apparently it was released in Australia under the title The Never Dead to avoid confusion. I just 
I just thought that was funny. It's not really relevant to anything, but I just, you know, thought that was funny. The And the ending was apparently, because apparently they had to do rewrites on the script just because they thought they wanted to go one direction, but then they realized they didn't have the budget or production for it. And the one, and some of the endings that were used that were filmed, uh, one of them was actually reused in a later sequel. But... Unfortunately, like I said, it was kind of a polarizing uh, early reception, although now it's got a 72 on Rotten Tomatoes. It's been described as incoherent but effective, and it deliberately makes no sense. That was one of the more positive reviews from uh, Kim Newman. Roger Ebert famously, in a mostly negative review, admitted that it had good visual style and sense of pacing, but described it as, quote, a labor of love, if not a terrifically skilled one. So, yeah, this is not going to be for everyone, but I I definitely recommend for horror fans. Uh, So about, what was it? Sorry, just going through my notes. About nine years later, it came out Phantasm 2. Now, I don't really think there was really any necessity to make a sequel, but, I mean, the ending for the first one kind of left them the option, which was nice. The first one, though, was not well-received at all. Uh, Mike was actually recast, although they brought Baldwin back later uh, for later sequels, but it picks up right where the first movie ends. Reggie helps Mike fight off the tall man, and we cut to a few years later in 1986, with Mike being released from some kind of mental institution. Reggie encounters Mike digging up the graves at Morningside, trying to convince him that the events in the first movie were not real. Reggie's convinced, however, after Mike shows him that all the caskets are empty. And apparently Mike has developed some sort of psychic bond with both the tall man and this woman, just known as Liz Reynolds. And it's come with some level of precognition. And sadly for Reggie, this ends with him getting a warning that something bad's going to happen to his family. And sadly, he gets there just in time to watch his house blow up, which was honestly kind of fucking, honestly really fucking upsetting. The first time I saw that, that was like, Reggie was such a cool guy that seeing something that bad happen to him was just depressing. But... You know, they follow the tall man, they try to track him down, and uh, Reggie and Mike are also trying to find this Liz girl. And they set out on a road trip towards Oregon, because uh, they look at a map and they see where all the like ghost towns that the tall man's left behind. They, you know, work out that he's heading towards Oregon. Um... Uh, like, basically every single one of these ends with a sort of cliffhanger ending. Um, so after, you know, seemingly killing the tall man, he appears again inside the hearse that they're escaping from his new mortuary with. And he tries to k- kidnap Mike again. This happens basically every time. 
And that leads into Phantasm 3, Lord of the Dead. I Okay, I'm sorry for rambling so much at the start of this episode. It's just I just got back from work and I'm a little tired. I just want to get this out on time. But a lot of the sequels, I don't really have as much to talk about as I did with the original. So I'm going to be kind of going through these a little quickly. So again, Lord of the Dead picks up where two left off. Mike gets kidnapped by the tall man again. Reggie rescues him, although Mike is now comatose. The tall man just disappears, vowing to return when Michael is, you know, fully healed, basically. So two years later, uh, you know, Reggie starts to get some visions of, like, Jody's ghost to hint that the tall man is, in fact, returning. The first main set piece is Reggie getting kidnapped by a trio of criminals, and they pull up to this uh, little ranch house out in out in the wilderness. They try to break in, see what's home, and they get incapacitated by this kid who has his home rigged with a bunch of like Home Alone style traps. I'd say they're more violent, but not really. It's more the fact that what happens is more realistic than they were portrayed in Home Alone. Uh, they're later joined by a young woman who goes by Rocky after investigating another town, and the remainder of the movie is the group, guided by Jody's ghost, trying to get Mike out of his coma and basically keep the tall man from, like, stealing his soul. Now, the ending here, again, is a cliffhanger where Mike basically gets jumped after trying to help Reggie, who's been, like, pinned to the wall by these, you know, silver spheres. Um, they're very... They're very distinctive, too. They're just these little chrome balls that have, like, spikes that are retractable or, like, a retractable drill. And like I mentioned with J.J. Abrams, he's a fan of the series. The reason why uh, Captain Phasma is called that in the new Star Wars movies is because he saw the clone armor, that bright chrome armor that he... Well, she. It was a he when he named her. It was a he at some point in development, I think. But, you know, she was named Captain Phasma after the Phantasm because he said the chrome armor kind of reminded him of the the spheres from Phantasm. So going from Lord of the Dead, we go to Phantasm Four: Oblivion, which, for better or worse, is probably the trippiest of all these movies, aside from the beginning. It's definitely the trippiest of the sequels. So yeah, follows after where three ends, Mike escapes from the mortuary, and the tall man, for some reason, just lets Reggie go. He's getting cocky at this point. And apparently the tall man has a plan to turn Mike into a being similar to himself. Um, And we get this weird plot line of just, like, jumping between dimensions and all that. And there's peppered in, like, these weird dream sequences or voiceover sequences where there's, like, outtakes from the original to, like, fill in the gaps. We get the tall man's backstory where it's like a sort of H.P. Lovecraft scientist case where it's this weird mix of science and magic. And essentially, way back in, like, the 1860s, he was just some mild-mannered old mortician named... Jebediah Morningside, hence Morningside Cemetery. But he became fascinated with the idea of exploring 
alternate dimensions to see if there was any possibility of, you know, speaking with, you know, dead relatives again. And it's never really made clear exactly what happened, but whatever he, wherever he went to when he stepped through, he came back and he wasn't Morningside anymore. He was just the tall man. And, you know, surprise, surprise, this one ends with Mike getting hurt and Reggie going off to help him. Which leads up to Phantasm Ravager, or Phantasm 5, whichever one you want to prefer. Uh, kind of funnily enough, it did stylize the Roman numeral in the name on the poster, just like Oblivion did. And it's a fairly appropriate ending, even though this one also ends on a cliffhanger, but it's an upbeat one. And my biggest complaint here with this one is that the budget is really showing. The production value on this one is not great. The effects aren't terrible, but it's like... When they're done with like practical effects, it's definitely not as immersion-breaking as the sort of... like. It's very like early two thousand. It's like very late nineties, early two thousands digital effects for a lot of this. But Reggie's left on his own after Mike is seemingly captured and brainwashed by the tall man. And the main plot line here is Reggie's consciousness is jumping around dimensions, mostly bouncing between this dystopian future where humanity is like nearly wiped out, and a relatively peaceful present. But in this one, Reggie is actually in a nursing home, and Mike's telling him that he has dementia. So, you know, and this one is why we, and this one is also where we get the explanation as to why the tall man keeps coming back. You know, it's kind of the joke with slasher villains. They never really die, but in this case, there's a reason for it. It's because, well, multiverse, essentially. I guess whenever Jebediah Morningside became the tall man, he also managed to access all of the other dimensions where the tall man existed. Or something like that. So, whenever one of them is killed, another just steps in to take his place. They're, yeah, Tall Man's on some Hell Hydra bullshit. But, yeah, uh, like I said, this one ends on a cliffhanger too, which I won't spoil. But it's at least a kind of upbeat one where the gang's back together. They're in that souped up, up Plymouth Barracuda. Reggie's got his little, like, quad barrel sawn off shotgun again. Which, yeah, that's a cool fucking weapon. But, yeah, that's the Phantasm series. I'm sorry this is kind of a shorter one, but... Um, there's not really as much as I can go into and talk about without it um, spoiling everything. I mean, I probably spoil a little bit here and there just with this, but... You know, it, it is what it is. I have to spoil something to some degree just to explain why I like the movie, but... Seriously, if you can, if you like a bit of trippy 70s sort of sci-fi horror, I would definitely recommend Phantasm. The sequels, you can take them or leave them. But yeah, that's the franchise. So tomorrow we're going to be talking about the Into the Dark series on Hulu, then Lucio Fulci, and then we're going to be wrapping up the month with what is the best horror franchise ever, Halloween. Good night. Stay safe. Signing off. Bye.